What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the second ever episode of the Members Lounge edition of Stick Talk, where, as you can see, there's only the three hosts, no guest. Um, got a lot of positive feedback on the first one we did, so hoping to bring you guys some more fire content from us three as hosts. Um, establish us, you know, as a podcast, as a brand, more so without guests. I love, you know, doing these episodes. Having guests on is great, but I think getting some thoughts and going around the room answering questions from us as the host is a lot of fun as well. Um, just a quick agenda. Today we have the Tate brothers being released from prison. That'll be fun. Um, being a likable person in business and, and fostering business relationships. And then we have some questions from the client ascension community. Um, shout out to you guys if you submitted a question there. And then wrap up with future plans and some Masters predictions. For all you sports ball fans out there, we're going to predict who's going to win the Masters. So, all right. Starting it off. Hot topic. Tate brothers getting out of prison. Um, First of all, what do you guys think is next for Tristan and Andrew in terms of career, where they're going? Are they in the clear with the, the you know, legal troubles? What do you think is next for those guys? Honestly, I have no idea about the legal stuff, <laughs> so I'm not going to pretend to know if they did anything wrong or not. But uh, I honestly think he's just going to be bigger than ever, both of them. So I think that they're probably going to wait a little bit to see how the legal stuff shakes out. But once they know they're in the clear or they know they're doomed, like once they can kind of see – the end, they're just going to go super hard in content because they have all the momentum well, right aren't now. Aren't they still on house arrest? Like they're, they're still arrest, like technically not free, right? No. No, but I think they have access to the internet, which they haven't for the last like six months. It's just been people posting from their account, like their team or whoever, presumably. So you guys think uh, Tate shaves the head and trims the beard or is he going rugged? Bro, like rugged I'm just going to opt out of this conversation because I could care less about Tate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, like everybody's talking about it, but I don't have a strong opinion on it. I've never been like a fucking like, oh, this is this is our savior. Like a lot of people on Twitter. So talk about that because a lot of people are like, oh, if you wear another man's jersey, you're a loser. <laughs> but then when Tate gets out of jail, people like praise him like he's God. Like, what do you think about that? How about if you're wearing someone's jersey from a TV show? <laughs> Biggest loser. <laughs> Didn't you just buy one of uh, AFC saying. Richmond from Ted Lasso? Yeah, no, I, I literally tweeted that. And it's usually the same people who are like, oh, if you wear another man's jersey or if you follow sports too closely, like you're a loser, like get your own life. You're like cosplaying as another man. And then a guy who made all of his money from having girls like flick their bean in front of a camera gets released from prison. <laughs> They're like, oh, my God, he's back. Oh like he's super God. smart. Says like a lot of things that I think appeal to a lot of young men right now because it's the complete opposite of what most of mainstream media will say. So I get the appeal 100%. And like, like him or not, you can tell he's a super, super smart individual. Like intellectually, he can pretty much joust with anybody. Um, but yeah, I think it's definitely hypocritical to be like super against, you know, admiring some, somebody who excels in their field being a sports player yeah. and then somebody else who excels in their field as an entrepreneur. Um, yeah, definitely kind of like a weird, weird take to have. Yeah, I don't really understand that how someone can make fun of me for crying when the Pittsburgh Steelers lose a football game and then when Tate gets out of jail I see 45 <laughs> tweets a minute about how he got out oh my god he's free so let's talk um, about why this even came up Christian got his feelings hurt did, did somebody in particular yell at you for being a sports ball fan no nobody in particular I just like calling out hypocrisy when I see it I think it's important that I don't know I just think are, the Andrew Tate thing's super interesting like you just said you weren't interested at all. 
It's super no like I'm not interested in okay. Andrew Tate like okay. I don't care gotcha, gotcha. about Andrew Tate like when he's going to jail or when he's coming out of jail like I care less like that's not going to change the course of my day. I just think the reaction to the news is so interesting. It's like very hypocritical I think in a lot of ways. And I don't know. I have a lot of respect for him just because I think he's one of the best marketers of like our generation or in this time or from our space. But like, is it so? Is is he someone that I look up to or care or would be friends with? Probably not. So I, I don't know. I don't. I just don't. I, mean, I have no like skin in the game to really care. Yeah. I I think it's just noise and distraction. Really. He's got to be top ten. Like just put him in front of a camera and go. Like no, no script. He's, no, he's nothing. top G, bro. <laughs> top ten. Get out of here. All yeah. Right, well, no, he is. He is very like very sharp. I'll, I'll give him that. And that is it for current events. Oh, real quick, what do you think about uh, Elon making the Doge emoji the logo of Twitter? Dude, that's so genius. Like, think about it. He probably had, like, a lot of Doge on his balance sheet, and they probably needed cash to fund some sort of initiative that's coming up for that's Twitter. That's trading. Yeah, 100%. So he's probably thinking, like, okay, we have Doge. We either want to dump it or we want to increase its value so that we can spend this money elsewhere. How can we do that? Well, let's just replace the little blue bird with a Doge logo, and it goes up, what, like 30% in one day? Yeah. Like, imagine he had billions of dollars in Doge, which he probably does. Did any of you guys get in on, like, the Doge hype when it was... Uh, oh, really? You brought that <laughs> up on fucking purpose, bro. Yeah, could you pass me that? Yeah, letter? was it on the Doge? Fuck you. Break down how much money you would have made if you didn't sell too early. Take why, your hands. why are we doing this? Can we not? Tell the story. <laughs> All right, super well, interesting. Well, 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 Do you not want to get views? Yeah, okay, so I put $1,000 into Doge when it was sub one <laughs> cent. The so... If I cashed out at the very top, I would have made around 150 grand from $1,000 invested, and I only made seven grand. So live and you learn. And yeah, that's it for Doge. So let's move on to the next thing before. Yeah, I but get why are you upset angry. about that? You made seven times your investment. Um, I don't know. Let's see. Could have made 100 grand. That's Could've. the worst when people lose a sports bet, and it's like a 15 leg parlay, and they get like the first 14, they lose that. Like, oh, that cost me like 100 grand. Like, no, bro, you put $15 on it. Like but he walked away with $6,000 profit. That's what I'm saying. He didn't, he didn't lose $150,000. He made $7,000. He won a lot of money. But if I simply just <clears throat> didn't do anything, I would have made so much money. But it's okay. But do you think you would have sold at the top? No. Is what you're saying? No. That's exactly. But what I am bitter about is at the time, I, wanted, I made a commitment to myself to keep 69420 Doge in my Robin Hood. And I was like, no matter what, I'm just going to hold this like an idiot. And I ended up selling that anyways. But yeah, okay. Live and you learn. Move on. Um, so next topic, shout out Oliver Canton. Canton, I hope it's one of those two. I hope it's Canton. But um, <laughs> I put out a tweet saying, asking people if they would submit some topics for the show to talk about. And he kind of went into using humor and comedy in your sales process and your follow-ups, which I kind of extrapolated into a whole section on just being a likable person in business and having fun more so than taking it seriously all the time. Um, so in your guys' opinions, why is preserving your reputation and playing the long game and going for longevity so important in business today? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think that's the number one thing you have to focus on. But I think really what you're asking is not necessarily like how to be funny or how to insert humor into your sales process, but it's more so just how to like be yourself. Yep. Where I feel like if you have a corporate sales job or even just a corporate job in general, the expectation is that you show up differently and that you align with 
maybe like worldly identities. But I feel like in entrepreneurship and even like sales opportunities that are out there to either be a setter or a closer, you have the opportunity to be yourself and to get a lot more creative, which is where I think this conversation kind of stems from. But yeah, yeah. what do you think? I think the main thing, yeah, he the, does main, the, main, I, the main reason why I it works is a pattern breaker. Like a lot of times, you know, after a couple follow-ups, if you're following the same structure of like, hi, name, comma, like sincerely. At like the super end, corporate, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just going to go in one ear and out the other because they've been seeing that all day throughout their inbox. And if you follow up with like, you know, what's up, man? Like, you know, just checking in, like something super casual in the same way on, on a sales call. Like, yes, you want to be, you want to have like that fine line between being super buttoned up, but also being comfortable in your own skin because it looks like you don't have you know, a hidden agenda. It looks like you're able to just act as a human, have a real conversation. And nobody likes to sit on a sales call and be like, okay, this guy's going to take me through the same steps that he takes everybody else through. And then at the end, he's going to go through the same pitch that everybody else goes through. And the only way you wouldn't be able to do that is if you were actually listening to that person and having like a real conversation with them and being able to pick up on different things that they want you to pick up on. So just being casual in general, I think the main reason why it works is because it's a pattern breaker. But it's also just going to build trust because it's like, oh, this person's just being a human to me. Like humans are naturally funny here and there. So like that's that's why it works. Yeah, um, that was kind of the answer to the second question in this. Uh, <laughs> What's the second section? question? Just how should you balance being professional and keeping it lighthearted? That's kind of what you guys answered. Um, and just to answer that myself, I think especially with Twitter, I used to just only post value and actionable content. Right. And then when I actually like Logue Fitz talks about this a lot, when you just post stuff that comes to your mind and be your authentic self, whether you're tweeting about well, why, your life. Why can't you be professional? And Why is professional and lighthearted any different? Well, I think people, like you said, with corporate America, you just think professional means you have to be buttoned up and talk about business all the time. But what really builds a connection with an audience is your take on sports and fumbling a huge Dogecoin bag and um, tweeting about your favorite music and what your your bike ride that you're on. I think that's what actually builds a connection with the audience. And a lot of people think, oh, if I just talk about business all day long, that's how I'm going to get the DMs asking to work with me. But in reality, I think the way you get those DMs is by making someone, you know, someone, that follows, someone that follows you should make it seem like they know you on a personal level as opposed to what you know about cold email or sales. And right? it's also leaning into your biggest differentiator, which is yourself. Like That's, anybody could run a cold email agency, but nobody can run a cold email agency ran by Andre Haeckel, really? right? So by showing like these different parts about your personality and being more casual and showing like the more human sides and not just tweeting constantly about cold email approaches, you're showing them more about yourself, right? So I feel like that's the big thing there is this is going to air before Pat's episode, probably. Yeah. But right? you talked about yeah, that. Like one of the biggest things is just being different, right? And then... Kind of like a, you are the competitive advantage. Yeah, you you literally are the differentiator. So yeah. if you could show yourself that, you're just playing into your biggest strong suit. Yeah, like I feel like my most engaged, and it's not to say engagement's like number one metric to to look at, but the most engagement I'll get on social media posts are where I'm almost posting like out of the construct. Like I'm not posting a thread on the ten best cold email ideas. Those do pop off, though. Those do pop off, though. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes. Um, but I feel like I'm building a, a deeper connection with my audience when I'm posting about things that matter to me, which it doesn't have to matter to everyone else, but what matters to me are certain things, like when I post about faith or when I post about family or when I post about just things that I'm interested in and, and find value in. That's when 
uh, I really feel like the most connected to my audience, not just with the engagement, like likes and comments, but also like DMs of other people, like almost thanking you for being almost like brave enough to speak up about it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I yeah. feel like most people don't cause they're trying to fit into a box or a construct. So that's, I mean, I, th I feel like advice for the audience is like, if you have, if you're thinking of a content strategy, like definitely you have to provide value and you have some, you have to have some value to share. But if it's just straight strategy of 10 cold email tips, 10 sales, best practices, strategy, this case study, that you're going to bore your audience and they're not going to see you as another human being. They're going to see you as like ro almost robotic. And I think that over time is it's boring. Yeah. Definitely. Yep. Yeah. And then back to, so my original question was like preserving your reputation, playing the long game and the way I go up, the reason, like the scenario, I think this is extremely relevant for is like, if someone DMs me and they're like, Hey man, can you write an email newsletter sequence for me? And I'm like, well, I write emails, but that's not my exact skill set. So I'll be like, Hey, go talk to Nick Verge, go talk to a client ascension student. Go talk to somebody in my network that can benefit from it. And then that person that I refer them to is like, thank you for the connection, bro. The person that reached out to me is like, thank you for the connection, bro. And then you just deepen two relationships as opposed to taking on the work yourself, even though it's not your wheelhouse and trying to fulfill on it and make a cheap bag off it, or a quick bag off it rather. Um, so I think that's just like the overall theme of preserving your, repu preserving your reputation in business sometimes won't give, give you the most short-term cash. But in the long term, it's going to make you way more money because the people that know and respect you from a year ago are now going to come to work with you when it's their time to sign on for your services, as opposed to you tried to hard like tried to hard close them a year ago and you just didn't get the close and now they don't respect you and appreciate you as much, right? So I feel like in general, though, the reason why it's so important above everything else, it's like the only thing you can't fail at. Yeah, like as you get into entrepreneurship, you try a bunch of things, you're inevitably going to fail. And then each time you're also like, oh, okay, like failure is not the end of the world, but for your reputation, it kind of is. I feel like that's why the Andrew Tate thing is so interesting. Yeah. Because like he's helping, you know, young men lead like a righteous path, path or I guess that's you like think so? his aim. I'm saying like that, that right there would be <laughs> his aim. Say, I, don't, right? I don't necessarily agree. No, no, I'm not agreeing with it. I'm saying that's probably what he's going for. Mm -hmm. Now, if you get convicted on a bunch of like terrible crimes, like that's done. Like yeah. Harvey Weinstein's not going to direct another movie, right? Yeah. It's it's something where like that's the only thing that you really can't recover from, in my opinion. So it needs to be number one at all times. Because yeah. everything else, for the most part, you can fail and bounce back from. But your reputation, like that, that follows you for life. You know, yeah. I was thinking about this this weekend. Like, reputation and word of mouth. Like people say, like, oh, word of mouth is like going to be your number one marketing asset. You just don't know it yet. And I feel like it's so easy to kind of just pass that off as. No, it's not like ad dollars, like ROI, high rows, all that stuff that you could see visibly is is really what you want to go all in on. But like reputation is literally everything like it really is. And the way you build reputation is not about what you talk about on social media. Like, I feel like there are a lot of people that post good content on social media, but they don't have a good reputation because when you meet them in person and when you work with them, they don't live up to what you think their image is. Yeah. And so I feel yeah. like reputation is all just about taking action and having like super strong values that are a lot different than most people. Yeah. 
like I could go into like specific examples, but reputation is like the most powerful thing. Yeah. Like I walked into that event this weekend and like right away people came up to me with like so much respect because of what other people told them about me because of how I showed up in other people's lives. And like, dude, that's such a competitive advantage. Like if you could show up in a room with other people and they already respect you and feel like they know you because of your reputation. Yeah. It's so hard to lose. Yeah. And the 100%. opposite is true. <laughs> like if you walked into a room, it's, it, and you're like, yeah, yeah, everybody else was telling, you know, he's everybody, a scammer. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like watch out for this guy. He's kind of slimy. You're, you're basically dead in the water. You don't no even get a chance. Good, yeah. No matter how good your product service or, or your pitch is at that time. Yep. You gotta be so careful with yeah. that. Yeah. hundred percent. So moving into the next section, Christian's like, this is nowhere near what I was asking you guys. No, it's, no, it's so true though. Like, <laughs> exactly what like especially to like young kids who are getting in the business, like do not take short term cash if it's going to jeopardize your well, reputation. I feel like the biggest way to protect your reputation is honesty and authenticity, right? Like honesty, morals. If you're not the right fit for the job, refer someone in your network that is, and you make the connection there, like I said, and you deepen the relationship with the person that hit you up in the first place. Because you were honest enough to admit, like, hey, yeah, this isn't my exact skill set. Let me pass you off to someone I trust and respect. And you get a kickback most times. Most of the time, yes, hopefully. Sometimes. Um, but also the, the reputation and reciprocity is there, too. Um, and then authenticity, right? Like, people will DM me a question about cold email. And then when I actually answer them, they're like, dude, I can't believe you actually answered me. Like, you didn't have to give me all this game for free. And I'm like, dude, it took, like, two minutes out of my day. And um, if I can help someone, you know, if I was in your shoes and I was DMing someone asking for advice and they answered it would mean the world so i want to return that favor 100 times out of 100 so everybody dm um, christian for free advice no please don't <laughs> yeah dm me for free advice with a real dm and i will always answer you if it's automated <laughs> i will never answer you um chill bro we literally send we make all of our money sending automated messages not on dude dm <laughs> is a different story i hate that shit yeah. um yeah but yeah so client ascension questions we put out a post in the community www.clientascension.com not a paid sponsor um, and a couple of the students got back to us with questions for the show, and it's pretty much a mixed bag of different stuff, so we'll just run through them and talk it out. So so who are the, just for background, for the audience, if they're not familiar with Client Ascension, like who are these people asking the questions? Like where like where are they in business and life? Yeah, like, a, lot, a lot of them for the most part are younger male entrepreneurs, 18 to 25 years old, I would say, for the most part. Um, all, you know, m medium stages of their business right they're not cole gordon alex hormozzi type established but they're not fresh off the streets just starting an agency established right they have clients under their belt they have consistent revenue they're building a business um and they're asking us these questions so i think this will be a really that really was good valuable discourse that was good. so um yeah first what was it like scaling from 20k to 50k per month with your agency i feel like if i remember correctly 20 to 50k was almost like we were unconscious like it wasn't a concerted effort. It was more of a continuation of what we did to get to 20K. Yeah. I actually yeah. think 50K was the wall. Yeah. I'll where we had yeah. to take a step back and be like, wait a second, what's happening here? Like this isn't breaking down. We're not getting past this number. Yeah. So I almost think the better question, and again, this is just like not knowing until you get there, but I think the better question is how do you get from 50K and then finally break that barrier? Because when we got to 50K, I think we went even back down. Yeah in a range between 20 to 30K, yeah. 30 to 40K. So I think the walls at 50K, and the better question is how do you get, how do you break past 50K and go straight to 83 or 100? Yeah. 
What do you guys think? I mean, think? from our experience, it's you just have to iterate and optimize your offer, right? Like, there's going to be a point with any offer that you run, any service delivery, where you hit a brick wall and you can't go any further, and you regress back to the mean of, okay, I spent all this time at 20, now I'm at 50. If you stay at 50, you know, props to you. You're crushing it. You're really crushing it with your fulfillment and your lead gen and keeping clients on. But for the most part, it's really hard to sustain that record month, and you regress back to the mean a little bit. Um, and I always laugh because when you regress back to that mean, you, you kind of feel like the sky is falling. Um, but I think those months where you go from a record high back down to a couple months of a lull or a, a lower revenue on the month, um, I think that's where you really learn the most about yourself, about your business, and how to get better. Um, because that's when you really have to sit back and think, okay, I got to this record month with this offer, but it wasn't sustainable. I can't maintain it with this exact offering. What needs to change and what do I need to optimize and what do I need to get better at to break past that ceiling and go further beyond that? Um, and to be honest, like we're at our agency right now, we're kind of at that point where we need to re reimagine our offer um, and innovate it and just make it more sustainable so we can, you know, hit those record months time and time again and keep going up, right? Because I kind of call it like a staircase, right? Where you go up, you hit a record month, you kind of stagnate, go down a little bit, go up to another record, stagnate, go down. Um, so, yeah, I think I think you guys would share the same sentiment for the most part, but just finding ways to optimize your offer for more growth and longevity. Yeah, I think if my memory serves me correctly, we got above 50. We might have even cracked 60, like basically on our own for the most part. Like, I feel like that was the big, like, wall that we hit at 50 is, like, now you really need to build a team around you mm -hmm. in order to take that next step. You know, I feel like, you know, based off our experience, there's almost, like, another wall at that next 50K increment. So now you not only need to have the team, but you also need to have, like, the same, like, speed, the same sales velocity, and, like, the same efficiency that you had when we were super lean, like, below 50K and just doing everything ourselves. Because I feel like from 20 to 50, it was like we were doing everything, but we had been doing everything for over a year at that point. So every single part pounding. was just like perfection. Like sales was perfect. Copywriting was perfect. Fulfillment was perfect. But it was because we were still doing everything. And that mm -hmm. got us up to 50K. And then it got to the point where like, oh, this is the most we can get to with everything yeah. being perfect. Then you build out a team. You take an another jump to like above the seven-figure run rate. And now it's like, oh, okay, because we increase our capacity and have people to help us out with it, we can get up to like that 83 to 100 range. But now I feel like the next step, and when we break past it, it'll be because we got the team to a point where it was operating at the same efficiency that we had when we were going from like 20 to 50K, basically as three people handling everything. Yeah. Dude, business is so much fun. I love what both of you said, especially Christian, because I feel like that's something that nobody ever considers. They're always looking for like a really specific problem with hiring or marketing or sales but a lot of times you just have to innovate the offer yep. like you might have the most perfect system on lead gen sales and fulfillment but it doesn't matter because your offer was not built to scale yeah and like people don't even understand what that means a lot of times and so first look at the offer and say can i even scale with this if i had the best teams firing on all cylinders in each aspect of the business and then if you do like you said it just goes into hiring uh, and we've talked about this multiple times on, I think, even the last Members Lounge episode and even uh, guest interviews of, like, the way a business operates is really as simple as legion, sales, fulfillment. And you should have someone that is in charge of each of those cylinders or categories of the business. And then when you max out, like Dan was maxing out because he was taking all the sales calls and closing all the deals. And in order to close more deals, 
he had to build a team. He couldn't do it himself. Yeah. And Christian, same thing with writing all the scripts for all of the clients. He had to find someone that could come in and write the scripts for some of the other clients. And so that's a natural progression, but it wouldn't have changed the fact that we didn't have an offer that was built to scale. And so yeah. I think what Christian yeah. said is like something that most people, I've really, nobody talks about that. Yeah. It's like, oh, you just got to perfect the offer, $100 million offer in the beginning, and then you're good to go. Like, no, you should iterate your offer every time you hit that barrier, or at least reevaluate it to see, because it's not always a hiring problem or a team building thing. It's a lot of times the offer. Which, how many times have we changed the offer over the years? It's a lot. Yeah, a lot. Because I think each time you say, like, oh, is this offer built to scale? But people in the audience may be thinking, scale to what? Because, like, when you're just starting, we're like, okay, let's do paper call. We'll scale to, like, 30K a month. We'll <laughs> all be, like, super, super rich. Like, it'll be, it'll be nuts. We'll be making six figures a year. And you're like, holy shit, that's nuts. But then you get to that point where it's, like, 50, 60K, and you kind of have that come to Jesus moment. You're like, oh, we've kind of tapped out this potential here. Is this something that I want to continue with or no? Yeah. So it's like you get to that barrier and you're like, oh, this offer was built to scale to 80K a month. This offer was built to scale to 100K a month. And then if you're not comfortable with staying at that range, but the offer is not built to scale past it, that's, you know, following up on what Christian said, where you have to kind of look yourself in the mirror and reinvent the offer. Yeah. I think it's all about leverage too, right? You could put the exact same systems in place, the exact same team Everyone has the everything. The, the playing field is completely equal. The only differentiator is the offer, and I think. <laughs> Holy shit! Anyways, yeah, there's like a, I think the, I think that the was a thunder thunderstorm. The offer <laughs> will dictate <laughs> demon leaves body. How leveraged your offer is will dictate how much money you're gonna make. Anyways, um, okay. Next question. Uh, I forget who this was from. Will we live in Florida our whole lives? Interesting. No. I feel like I know the answer to a lot of... I mean, no. Yeah. Like, there's... Dude, you have the whole entire world for an entire life. I mean, do you think you'll live in Florida the entire your entire life? I think that the way I would answer this no is... Shot, there bro. will always be a portion of the year where I am in Florida for the rest of my life. That Fair. Yeah. Fair. Like, my end goal... Put me in an ideal situation when I'm 50 and I have enough money to do as I please. I would have a lake house in New York for... May to September, and I would be in Florida from October to April, like, and then traveling, of course. But those would be like my two headquarters. That's even scary to think about, like, thinking, yeah, I'll be in Florida the rest of my life. Like, I there's just like so many other variables that are way more important. Just say, bro, like, what, for me, what if, I want to, I want to build a family, so like that's number one. But yeah, if they want to stay in Florida, I want to end up here ideally and be. But kind imagine of like Florida turns York. to California or New York. Like who knows where? That's Florida's what I'm saying. Like it's it's years. like way it's it's like I'm comfortable with the idea, but it's also not like super important that I stay in Florida my yeah. whole life. Like bro, to be honest, like Florida, like not considering any external factors, just considering like the physical realm of like nature and weather, it's good, but it's not the best. Like I think it's missing a lot of things, and we talked about it on the podcast with Jake. Like it's missing elevation, it's missing a lot of nature. Like an area like downtown Tampa, there's not a lot of nature. But I feel like the reason people are drawn to Florida is a lot of it has to do with politics. A lot of it has to do with taxes. A lot yeah. of it has to do with the culture. And so, like, that all can shift. The physical aspect of it is the last thing that will shift. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm personally way happier, though, like, living in this weather 24-7 and then traveling to go skiing or traveling yeah. to go into the mountains hiking as opposed to living back in cold weather and traveling yeah. to go to the sun. 
don't know. Yeah, we could, true, uh, we could all be China in five years, so who the fuck knows? But, <laughs> um, yeah, to be determined on that yeah. question. Good question, but I think the real question is, like, do we like living in Florida? And I'd say, yeah. Yeah. For now, it's, it's great. If conditions of the state remain the same for the rest of my life, I'd probably be here for a lot of it. Um, what was your largest mental barrier in business, and how did you overcome it? I think the largest mental barrier was nobody is going to do as good of a job as I am in my respective realm. And because of that, I have to keep control over as much of the business as possible. Yeah. Otherwise, it's all going to go to shit. Yeah. And I feel like we can all relate. And within our own 100%. aspects of the business, like Dan knows, if I outsource this sales call to someone else, they're not going to do as good a job as if I were on the sales call or Christian, like if I outsource these scripts to someone else, they're not going to write them as good as I could. And a lot of the times that's true, but a lot of times it's not. And all the time, it doesn't really matter. Like if you want to scale, like that's, that's a non-negotiable. You have to give up control. Yeah. And I feel like for me, it's even something I'm still working on is like, I'm a control freak. Um, but a lot of the times you kind of have to just let go and let the chips fall where they may. And uh, really understand where to leverage your time. I mean, Christian, we were just talking about this today. Like, it's so easy to to want to control everything in the business, but the the way I describe it, it's so easy with like client ascension, for example, is like we have over 250 students in client ascension. And as much as I'd want to pour into every single one of those students every single day, it's just not possible. And so what do you do? Well, you find people in that role of like a student success coach or a client success manager that can spend all of their day just pouring into a select group of students. Yeah. And the way you gain confidence in their ability to do so is by spending time with just that one person. So me spending time with just one student success coach can indirectly impact 50 students without me having to go out individually and talk to 50 students. And like that was my biggest limiting belief. It's still something that I'm breaking through. Um, but I'll think more if there's anything else. I feel like you guys might agree, but for me, that's it. Oh, yeah, that was definitely my number one, 100%. Like, and I'm still actively struggling with it <laughs> a lot, especially on the knowledge deck side, um, just in terms of like my confidence and somebody else closing at the same level that I will. Knowledge X is interesting though. It's like, yeah. it's not a solidified offer. So that, that's, that's not the thing even too. Really and it's possible. also such like a technical inside sale that you need to teach somebody all these things where like, if I tried to teach myself two years ago when I didn't know anything or three years ago at this point, I would be like, dude, what are you talking about? Like <laughs> just all of this like weird industry jargon that's important. So you don't get caught with your pants down on the call is yeah. So that was definitely the biggest barrier, but then kind of similar to you, especially in client ascension, I kind of saw, okay, not only is it something where you get past it, your life gets a little bit easier, but you're also spending your time in such a more high leverage way. Because, you know, this one person can take 20 calls. And if I'm going to call with, you know, three closers at a time, that's 60 calls that I couldn't take. Right. Yeah. So yeah, same, same thing for me, I guess. Yeah. I would say mine is imposter syndrome. Um, just because when we were first starting out, like I was fresh out of college, had like a year of experience and people were paying us for our knowledge and our abilities. Um, and I, I was able to get results, but I was like, okay, this guy that's twice my age, he's been in business for half as long as I've been alive. Like why they're trusting me to generate new business for them um, with my writing abilities and our cold outreach. So that was a big one to overcome. I think the way that I got over it is just by experience. Like at this point, I've done it for so long. Um, 
that I am confident that there's not as a lot of people in the space that have more experience than me. Um, but yeah, I still deal with it to this day. Like I could always be better. I could always do better. Like, am I even, you know, am I the right person? For, like, I don't experience it as much anymore, but I definitely still still get still do get those thoughts in the back of my head. But it's a lot easier to to drown out now. But yeah, just I feel like everyone, every high performer has some feelings of doubt along the way, especially as you get bigger and bigger and your company gets bigger. Like, okay, I'm running this massive company. Like, am I really qualified to do this? Um, so yeah, that's uh, always a thought. But I think that's what drives you to get better and not get stagnant in what you're doing and try to find new ways to innovate, right? Because if you're anxious about something, it's just because you haven't worked hard enough at it yet. So once you actually put in the work and do your best and learn more and become a master at your skill, it's a lot easier to be confident in your abilities. Um, I always bring it back to like school presentations. Like if you go up to present on a book you never read, you'd be fucking nervous as hell. But <laughs> if a good you way to look at read it. the book all the way through and analyzed it and spent 10 hours on it. You'd be hyped to get up there. Yeah, yeah 100%. Like um, in college, I made like the finals in new york city for a, a case presentation on nike because i knew nike like i nike's like my favorite company of all time so to get up and speak speak about how nike can evolve their sneaker department was like the back of my hand um but if i was talking about like google's software development i'd be like oh yeah i'd have no idea what it's else like that hermosi quote like the best way to get over imposter syndrome and self-doubt isn't by shouting self-affirmations in the mirror it's <laughs> Wait, by what? stacking so much what? It's not? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's by like stacking <laughs> so much evidence that you are actually good at that yeah, thing. Yeah. Like now at this point, you have so many successful campaigns that you've run. You'd actually have to be an idiot to think you're not good at writing cold email copy. Yeah. 100%. A lot of it ties is all self-worth. I think we all struggled with that in the beginning is like, are you, because basically the quote, like the self-help quote in like layman's terms is really just like you get what you think you deserve. Yeah, And, like, do you think you deserve abundance and wealth and success a lot of the times when you're first starting out? No, you don't. I think the hardest thing with that is, like, you look at people's highlight reels on social media. Like, someone cherry picks their best campaign and posts it online. It's like, look what I did with cold email. And I'm like, fuck, like, that dude got a better response rate than me. Like, what are they doing? But they could have been writing, like, I remember we got, like, a 40% response rate to a, a campaign for one of our other businesses and I was like, Oh my God, I'm the man. I'm gonna post a screenshot. And someone reading that's like, this kid really got a 40% reply rate on a cold email campaign. Um, so yeah, just playing the comparison game is always very dangerous, especially because when you peel back the curtain, a lot of the time, it's not what it appears. Um, so yeah, you versus you comparison the is the best way to play. Joy. Yep. Um, Ooh, this is a great one next. Uh, all right. We have a long way to go. So let's try. Bro, to I'm still a little shook by that sneeze. <laughs> Why? This is so unnecessary. Noise. You'd have got kicked out of class for that shit in high school, bro. <laughs> um, Dude, nature's calling. I did that in high school one time, <laughs> and the teacher was like, The body will do what the body will do. I mean, what do you want yeah. me to do? Um, all right. How do, so, <laughs> how do you balance being obsessed with business while still being an interesting person outside of business, a.k.a.? How do you balance business with hobbies and travel and, um, you know, life outside of work i'm just no longer an interesting person <laughs> i mean what if you, you make talk, you want to talk shop let's go <laughs> anything else this guy's a robot <laughs> i mean i feel like that's such a one-dimensional way to look at it like business is a lifestyle think about it like hey, where's your mrr no <laughs> mrr we could talk about mrr it's a false idol that a lot of people have to to rewire their expectations for but 
I think business is a lifestyle in itself if you build it that way. I think the whole thing of like work-life balance is the fact that you're working a job that you hate and that doesn't fulfill you at all and that doesn't allow you or empower you to do the things you actually want to do. And then how do you spend time outside of that while you can? Whereas like business, like I want to spend time in the business because it allows me to travel. It allows me to build friendships and networks and connections and experiences. So I don't know that there is a balance. Obviously there is, and we could go into specific factors of that, but. I get why the person has a question though, because people can 100% get sucked into their laptop 100% and drop everything else. Yeah. Like we're, none of us are like that, but there's a ton of people who drop all of their hometown friends. They drop all their outside hobbies and it's just business, 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 nothing else. We've never been that way. So it's kind of hard for us to answer the question. But I think... Well, no, it's not. That's exactly that, the question. I was going to say, it's actually we're the ones How that can't answer it? the question. No, but I'm saying, like, I've never even been tempted by, like, oh, I'm just going to cut everything else off. But I feel like that's also the to, nature of, like, first place. You, we had a really good upbringing. That, yeah. Like, there, why would you cut it off? It was what empowered yeah. us to do what we do today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it wasn't, me, like, the yeah. limiting factor. I think the balance is what allows me to stay consistent with it, right? Because if we just, like, sacrificed the weekends and worked all, like... Monday through Monday through Monday and didn't take a break on the weekends and travel and do fun stuff. I Like me personally, I would probably burn out and not have the creative juice and not be able to show up with my best effort every day. Um, so I think being really diligent with work throughout the week and getting stuff done when you need to is exactly what you have to do to scale business. But then like on the weekends, if your friends invite you to a trip, take that trip and don't be like, oh, I can't. I have to launch a campaign on Saturday night, right? Like do... Scale a business and put in the hours because you have to, but also don't forget to live your life, I guess you could say, right? Like, you, we all work really, very hard, but if there's a fun trip to Nashville or uh, to Austin or to Costa Rica, you're not turning it down just for the sake of work. We're grateful to be able to work while we travel and do fun stuff. Like, last weekend, I went out to the other coast of Florida and golfed with my hometown friends that I grew up with, right? Oh, normies, right? But they're my best friends in the world. Um, so, yeah, so I think... I think putting in the Yo, work. How'd you, what do you think, actually, of the, the restaurant? It's good? Uh, Tiger? Yeah, it was good. It was good. I had a burger. Uh, gr my friend ordered a filet, and it was like $110 on the bill. <laughs> <laughs> so that was rough for him. But, um, yeah, to answer that question, I think you have to have a balance for me personally. Like, on the weekends, I don't really check Slack. I don't really work much. I just enjoy my weekend and reset and travel and stuff like that. So, Yeah, you're going to get burnt out otherwise. You kind of know I, I it's been a so. super long week. Like, you're like, okay, I actually like need to go out with the boys and just... Yeah. Like, you, I mean, you about put it very bit. perfectly. Is like, the way I think of it is when you choose, like, the path of entrepreneurship or running your own business, like, you are the biggest asset, right? Yeah. Like, you have to show up. You have to put in the work. And to be able to do that, you have to take care of yourself. Yeah. And, like, simple things like going on a walk or thinking like take yeah, like yeah. like literally blocking off time in your calendar to think uninterrupted is one of the most like high leverage things you can do it really is and so like I, I feel like simple things like that go a long way but one of the exercises that i find really uh valuable is i was asked this question once and it's uh what are three things that you don't have right now and maybe you guys are even willing to answer this question. What are three things that you don't have right now that one day before you die, you absolutely want to have? And it's like kind of putting you on the spot. Three things? Yeah, maybe even just say one thing. But like that was the question, right? Yeah. And so 
think about it, but and I'll explain a little bit further. You absolutely have to have or want to have? Want to have. You really, like, you'd be really regretful if you died without these three things. You obviously don't have them now. I'd say family. Yeah, family. Property. And a large liquidation event. Not even necessarily for the cash, but just to be like, we fucking did it. Like we spent all this time and yeah. we, we, we reached that that milestone. Yeah. Off the top of my head. Yeah, I would say a family. Um, I feel like if you die and you never got the Lambo, you'd be like, oh, fuck. All right, whatever. If the nice material things, yeah. I would say a family. Um, every bucket list item checked off in terms of travel experiences. Stuff like that. Son just cheated. That's like... <laughs> no, that's fine. It's fine. A it's bucket good. list of completed items. It, there's okay. no okay. wrong answers. Go ahead. That's, a family, that. a bucket list, and uh, a legacy. That's interesting. So yeah. mine is very... Okay. I think almost everyone in our realm is very similar. Like Mine is also a family of my own. One of mine is like a really close and strong connection to God, like faith. So basically what this is doing is showing you what do you really value in life. Mm. First one, family, it really just boils down to relationships. Yeah. For me, second one, God, whatever, it really just boils down to faith. So you take those things. But you said that you don't have. I don't feel like I have like you don't the, have as strong. Yeah, okay. exactly. Like I, I say you have a strong <coughs> connection, but you're just saying it's strong because that's yeah. the same where I would be. I want to have well. like a like a, an unbreakable, mm-hmm. unshakable faith or yeah. relationship or, or closeness to God. And so now you look at those three things. Those are your values. Like health is one, right? Yeah. Uh, and so you look at your values and you intentionally plan out time every day or every week to prioritize those three things. So you, we all mentioned family, relationships, yeah. right? So if you're in your business 24-7, what are the chances that you're able to build a family of your own? Yeah, none. What are the chances? Pro- very, very unlikely. And so you have to make time for that, right? Yeah. And so that's the way I look at it is like, I've, I think the, the first question you have to ask yourself is what are your values? Like, what do you actually care about in life? Business for sure. It definitely empowers a lot of the other things, but you still have to intentionally make time for those things. Otherwise, it, nothing happens. You, you can't be passive about it. Yeah. I think the biggest slap in the face is when like billionaires regret not spending time with their family. Um, yeah, it's sad. It's just like, all right, you made all this money, but at what cost? It's like, fuck. Um, and then a lot of people on Twitter always, I feel like the people on Twitter that talk about the balance between like family and outside stuff and work are always the ones that came out on the wrong side of it, where it's like they spend too much time on work and now they're reflecting on their past. Um, so Regret. Yeah. It's also an interesting dichotomy, though, of like playing the long game and planning for these things that you know that you want to have. But also just realizing it could be over at any second. 100%. Because I understand those people, too, who are like, fuck it, gas pedal 24-7. Like, yeah, but if it could time. be over any second. That's why I say never say no to an experience ever. Yeah, good point. That, that's a great way to live. Like, you value experiences, right? You value seeing as much yeah. of what's out there as you can. And so that's one of his strongest values. Christian's strongest values is saying yes Anytime he's in a position to say yes. And like, that's a trait that I think a lot of people uh, look up to you for. And it's something that you should be proud yeah, about because you put yourself in a position to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Most people can't. Proud, yeah. proud of you, man. They got two vacation weeks every year. Yeah. <laughs> this nice. dude's taking a vacation every week. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Philly Hank. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, um, I think it's a good way to look at it. I, I don't even remember what the actual question was. I think was. it was how do you remain interesting as a person? Yeah. Like that was like the question yeah, way back. Yeah. There you go. It just boils down to having multiple things that you actually care about in life. Yeah. And how can you work towards those things daily and not just one? I also think like the big the biggest way to measure this is if you sit down at dinner with somebody and all you can talk about is your business for three hours straight, like you're not well rounded enough in my opinion. Like I think if, it's if it's, you're I'm not saying sitting down with people in your business sphere, like sitting down with a partner an associate, yeah, talk business all night long. But if you're sitting down with a new person that's wanting to get to know you and all you can speak on is your, your business, I think you're missing. Yeah, I think it was Nick Rogers aspects. tweeted about that. Like he's not super impressed anymore by people who are just running an internet business. They do nothing else. And I kind of feel the same way. We're like, yes, obviously that there are aspects of what they did that's super impressive. But if you're just living in that little bubble and you're not doing anything else outside of it, you just become less interesting of a person and yep. less well-rounded of a person. Like when I talk to people who are running businesses who like retired their mom or like some super cool thing like that, that's way more impressive than like, hey, I only focus on this. I only care about this. Nothing else matters. Hmm. Damn. Super interesting. All right. So more of a, a lighthearted question here. How do you plan out your meals? <laughs> that's a good question, though. I'm pivoting from a pretty deep subject. How do you plan out your meals to save the most time and also get your protein, macros, et cetera, fit into your diet? We live above a grocery store. So. <laughs> yeah. Simple live above a fucking grocery store. convenient. I just walk downstairs and see what I'm feeling. I, I like track my meals and stuff and macros and my fitness pal. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? Optimizer. Yeah, I don't think I, any of us are like big optimizers in that way. Like we don't meal plan or anything like that. Yeah, no. It's not a right or wrong thing. It's just who we are. I also think. I mean, one of the things that I super much value is just like having a nice dinner. Like I love going to different restaurants. Like I love eating out. Yeah. Some people love cooking. I, I personally don't. Oh, I'm 100% the same way. Yeah. I could eat out every meal for the rest of my life. I, yeah. And not feel like I I'm do missing for out the most anything. part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shout out Naked Farmer. I agree 100%. Um, I would just say like the stuff that I make takes like 10 minutes, so I don't really have to think about it. Like. But do you, this is actually an interesting question. Do you enjoy the things you make yourself or the things that you go out and eat oh, from go other out places? Oh, go 100%. 100%. So why do you make food? I guess uh, to not feel guilty about my diet. I don't know. Like, you can prepare ground beef for a steak in 10 minutes and eat it. That's the dichotomy I deal with all the time. It's like, at this point, you're spending 10 bucks on ground beef and rice. You could just walk across. Doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to do with money, right? Okay. There's, like, a select few things that cook really well. Yeah. That's no, it's not like a hard question. I'm just genuinely curious. Ground like, beef and steak. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Like I have a few meals too that I like to make and, yeah. and eat, but cooking a steak old. is fun, I will say. That's my rotation's like there's like three things. Yeah. I I, I don't got my stuff. Yeah, so yeah, I guess uh we all don't really plan out our stuff. It just kinda happens. Um I have no clue if I hit my macros every day. I'm not sure, but a lot of my meals are protein dominant. I'm sure all you guys are too, so um already kind of answered the other one about not how do you not feel guilty about taking time away from your business for family or friends uh, that's actually a good question let's talk about that wait say it again how do you i guess do you like when you take time away from work to to hang out with family or friends or do something do you feel guilty about it with like oh i should be working i should be checking slack monitoring work like what's your take on that i used to and i almost felt guilty for the opposite reason i felt guilty that i felt that way yeah while I'm with family and while I'm with friends because I didn't feel truly present. Yep. 
So I almost felt more bad for the family and friends I was with over the business that I was not with. Yep. But I think just tailing on the entire conversation we've been having is if I didn't spend the time with family and friends and I only spent time in the business, not only would I not have the motivation to go back to the business and work a lot harder because I know what I'm working on it for. Yeah. Um, but also it's just like, it boils down to like common sense. Like you need to take time away because when you're with family and friends, you get new perspectives. You give yourself a break to actually think through things and remember what actually matters. And I think it actually helps the business now that I look at it. But yeah. before, definitely, I was always like, oh, I got to be checking Slack or what's going on with this client or what's happening here? How much money am I making? But now I think it's a, it's a lot quieter of a, a voice in my head. Yeah, I don't really feel guilty for it. Definitely used to. In the beginning, you're like, oh, I could be working right now. I could be working. And then you kind of realize there's literally an infinite amount of work we could do. Like, I could go to the hills and lock myself in a cabin with nothing but Wi-Fi connection, food, and water, and work for five straight weeks, and I just wouldn't run out of things to do. <laughs> so once you kind of accept that, it's kind of just like an endless to-do list. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay, like, there's no point in stressing. Let me, you know, segment everything properly so I can keep a clear head, and I'll actually be more productive. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the worst is, like, if you're getting lunch with a friend or a family member, and it's, like, work hours. You're like, oh, fuck, Slack. This client could be answering me. Like, I got to answer the student. But, like, actually being present enough to put down the phone and just focus on what's in front of you is a good thing to practice and develop. Because I'm I think it's like, don't half-ass anything. If yeah. you're working, then, then be present in your work. Don't be texting friends or thinking about what's going to happen this weekend. And then yeah. if you're out on the weekend or if you're out with friends, like, be there with friends. Like, make the most of what's in front of you. Don't think of where else you could be or what you should be doing. I think it's the easiest way to avoid that feeling of guilt. Yeah. <clears throat> I it's, also think that, like, for people who do feel themselves, like, oh, I'm working so much, I'm working so much. Like, that's fine for a period, too. Like, if you're in your young 20s, now is kind of the time to over-index on work. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's not a terrible thing, either, the flip side. 100%. All right, so... Couple more sections here, pretty lighthearted ones, pretty fun ones. Um, so future plans, immediate future. UFC this weekend, you guys are going to the event. What are your expectations for the event in terms of seeing a UFC fight in person? Because I know. That are we going? I have no idea if we're going or not. Yeah, I think we are, but I'm not. No, no, no you're not because you you're, you're going to be out of town. I, I, I want to go. I'm down. We're with a group of like cousins as well, so we got to see if they're also down to go. But uh, regardless. I had prayer in the first fight. I'm riding with him again. Ooh. I think Izzy is just, I don't know, that's his boogeyman. He can't get over him. Oh, yeah, prayer for sure. I like what you said, too. Masvidal is like the bet of the night. Yeah, yeah. Masvidal is interesting. Dude, he's back in my, what do you mean? Whenever I bet on that guy, he gets fucking clapped. So don't bet on him, please. You bet on him once. Against I hope Colby. I am past March Madness. I have future bets placed on NBA and NHL. I have no more bets to place. He's until a giant underdog until though, football. So it's not something you go crazy. I'm trying to announce something very important Sprinkle. right now. I'm not betting until the NFL season. You you bet a bunch of shit on the Masters. Yeah, they're placed. <laughs> every every bet that is there's no more bets being placed until NFL. Okay. Congrats. Why? I don't know. I just kind of declared that. We're gonna give now. you like a two month chip, a three month chip for your your betting sobriety. My sobriety. sobriety? I'm yeah, the same way. Back I action. can't think of anything. It's like. What's after After this? There's nothing coming up, really. 
NBA playoffs and finals. I already got my futures. <laughs> I told you the bets that I have already placed is what I'm riding with. I'm not placing any new ones. Yeah. No, I think a UFC event would be super interesting. It just looks like a really unique sporting event to like be in person for. I definitely think if you're interested in like watching the fights and seeing what happens, it's a lot better to watch it at home. Like I can't imagine being there in person and like having like a great view of everything that's happening. I just think like the environment would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yep. Okay. Um, I personally have not a strong opinion on the fight. I'm going to go with Izzy just to counteract you guys. And when this comes out, I think the fight will already have been happened. So either I'm right or you guys got the best of me, but I think Izzy, uh, Reasserts his dominance. Masters, who are you riding with? Masters. Scotty Scheffler. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's another segment. Jumped oh, ahead, head. jumped ahead. He's peeking. One more question. Upcoming travel for the boys. We got Italy, Dubai, United Kingdom, Costa Rica. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like in the immediate future, going over to Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, then going up to South Carolina to see my mom and grandparents for Easter. Then back to that area, then over to Austin. It's like next two weeks, I'm not going to be home. Same. Then nothing actually solidified and planned after that. But yeah, I think we're going to do Dubai for at least a little in November. I don't know, man. There's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff going on. I want to get over to Europe, though, for sure. Yeah. For the summer at some point. Europe, UK, one of those two. Yeah. What about you, sir? You traveling <laughs> besides Dubai? I got a Yeah, my schedule is pretty busy upcoming. Um we're going to Fort Lauderdale went tomorrow, right? Yeah. So we're going to Fort Lauderdale tomorrow, spend time with family for Easter. Super looking forward to that. Um, going to New York City the week after. What are you um, going to the city for? See a female friend. Nice. Nice. And some other friends as well. Nice. And then uh, nice. we have VCon. Oh, shit. VCon. Indianapolis this year. Never been. I don't think I'm going to go to that. I think both I these go. guys are going to end up deciding to go. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. <laughs> I think Christian will be there for sure. Gary Vee's the will homie. Be there. Very, Dude, very Andrew Schultz is performing the first night. I know. I love Andrew That's Schultz. literally the selling point. It's a $200 ticket. <laughs> <laughs> VCon is Gary Vee's like mega conference that he started last year. Honestly, it wasn't like... Stacks. That's my boy. wasn't super impressive last year, to be honest. Like and I'm a I'm a Gary V diehard. Well, it was in Minneapolis, which is the worst city on the planet. Yeah, Let's but like get the I don't know, it was just fun. <laughs> it's a trip with like there. that group. It was just a fun time. So. Oh, it's always a great time. time. So doing that, I might um, go and not even get a ticket to the conference. <laughs> dude, the, it's like hundred fifty dollars. I just don't want to go to it. All right, fine. It's Web three, Web three, Web. No, 3. no, it's not this year at all. They change it up a little bit. It's all business and culture. Okay. Like there's barely right, like right, any, there's right. very like specific Web three guys there, but it's it. Look at the lineup. It's no Andrew shade of Web three, by the way. I found all of it interesting. I just feel like it'd be the same exact talking points. No, no, that that was like the whole like conversation leading up to it is like it's gonna be way more broad, like yeah. culturally relevant things, like Andrew Schultz, comedian. Uh, what else do we have though? In May, that's we have that. I want to do a UK trip in the summer, all of us. London, Dublin. I definitely want to go to Ireland. That's that's a big one for me. Will Connor be there in the summer? Is he in Dubai? I don't know. I'll text him. All right. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Not the dude's schedule. I think that'd be uh, cool. A lot of traveling. I think the better question is, how do you guys stay productive while traveling? Dude, it's so for me, it's a lot easier. 
Like, I understand for you, it's way yeah. more difficult because you're interfacing like live on a Zoom call, right? Um, but for someone like me and maybe Christian, you can relate to this a lot too. It's like, I work way better when I'm not talking to other people yeah. and when I can like really just focus and it's just like me in front of my computer. And traveling gives me a lot of opportunities to do that. I talked to Scott a, a lot about this as well, but like when you're like 10,000 feet up in the air or whatever the altitude is for an airplane flight, um, and it's just like 30,000. <laughs> How much? 30,000? Yeah. What airplanes are you flying, bro? No, I think, I think he's right. You're wrong. Oh, all right. Take Anyways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm talking about my private jet. You guys still fly commercial? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my bad. All right. Anyways. Shout out Spirit Airlines. <laughs> No, I, I just like a lot of my day to day is like, yeah, I have set meetings with team members a lot more now than I used to before. But like most of, I'd say a good majority of my week is just me and myself and my like in front of the computer, just like doing like ops stuff behind the scenes. And it, like, yeah, when you're traveling, there's interruptions and the schedule is not as perfect as it usually is. But I could always find a couple hours to do deep work, catch up on what I need to do, communicate with guys through Slack. Like, to be honest. I do a lot of my work on my phone, like not even on my computer, like maybe 25% of my workday is on my phone strictly. Damn. Yeah. I fit my workday into how much time I have. So if I have three hours, I'm going absolutely apeshit for three hours. And I feel like if I'm at home with a 12 hour day in front of me, I'm not as urgent as I could be, which might be a fault. But if I'm in the airport and I have two hours to bang out five things, they're all getting done. Whereas those five things might stretch out over the course of a day in between calls if I'm just home. Um, so honestly, I, I like working while I'm traveling. It just keeps me productive. Yeah, um, I feel like the main thing for me is I just need to scope out where I'm working the day before and I'm good. Yeah. I used to not do that and I'm like walking around like the... The but Airbnb you know what I mean, right? Like you're laptop. on a call, so yeah, you have to be yeah, conscious yeah. of your background. So it's annoying. I'm like, yo, guys, shut up. And I'm like carrying her. It's just. Yeah. So now what I started to do is be like, okay, if I have like deep work, which isn't really deep work, it's just more so like administrative stuff where I don't have to be on a call. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to this coffee shop or I'm going in this room. But it's super important that the day before I lock in all of that and I know where I'm taking my calls. Yeah. So it's not a situation where I'm hopping on the call. I have to tell everybody to shut up and like this and that, which used to happen all the time. Uh, but I've just gotten in a good habit of kind of knowing where I'm going to be, where I'm going to be set up at what time that it's really not too much of a productivity drop off. But I feel like there's always like a little bit for me, at least like it's always like a little bit less productive than being at home. The dichotomy of man. I feel like you're in your room. It's like a tricky you're one. You're in your room a lot, though, I feel like when we're home. Yeah, I am, too. That's, it's that's, just like a comfortable I, environment to to do what he does. Because right? that's yeah, that's like at my desk. That's why. I said it's always more productive for me being at home because I'm like, okay, this is yeah, yeah. this is the work spot. No yep. interruptions. Or like a longer term stay, like an Airbnb or hotel, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, so we're going to wrap with some Masters predictions. Speed round, who's winning the Masters? Scotty Scheffler for me. He's repeating because he's very fucking good at golf. And everyone's like, oh, he's not going to win again. I'm like, yeah, he is. Can I do two? No. He's All got right, like 10. So I have bets yeah, on multiple. I, I, sprinkle I chose the board. one. So I do every year. <laughs> Um, All right, let's do winner and su uh, surprise performer. Brooks Kepka is the winner, which is also a surprise performer. I was going to say my surprise is Brooks. 50 to 1 odds, I think. Uh, and then Tony Finau finishes second place in classic Tony Finau fashion. All right. Come on. AJ, he's got Tiger to surprise and win. And Every single year when the Masters comes around, I bet. 
the one and only Tiger Woods because it makes too much sense. His odds are always so disrespectful. This year they're eighty to one. You could put ten dollars and win what is that? Eight hundred dollars. Good So enough. if you guys Good are looking genius. for a way to make money online, actually <laughs> this episode will be released too late. You missed the opportunity to bet ten dollars on this Tiger to win the Masters. When someone watches him say bet Tiger Woods and you had to like withdraw <laughs> on the first day. All right. I'll bet on him to miss Scott. But like, do you guys agree or disagree with the fact that Tiger Woods is the only one in the field at the Masters that has as good a chance as anyone else to win every single time based on his previous resume every single time i'm confused uh does no. he have the best chance to win based on i would as with good that. a chance as anyone else why i disagree with that yeah why because the fastest prime. that's like saying jordan could show up to a playoff game right now and, and drop 50. no it's he different it, okay so a playoff game is a playoff game it's so different than golf where the masters augusta like even if tiger's not playing his best he didn't play his best when he won three years ago at all he won like at a pretty low stroke count. The fact that he knows the course better than anyone else. I get what you're saying, and I think that this is definitely his best tournament. And if That's I had to saying. say, hey, Tiger's going to win a major, I would say the Masters. He's notoriously good at Augusta. Exactly. But if you're telling me he has the same chances as Scotty Scheffler right now, I would disagree. Personally. I just think he's like one of the guys that... If he's playing the Masters, he's got a real chance to win every single time. He's got a real chance to win. Yes. Every single time. I agree with that part. 100%. And so the odds don't reflect that ever. 80 to 1. Well, I Correct. think you're not that, taking into account that his body is fucked up and he might not even make it to Sunday. He might not. Yeah, but but he's like, he, you want to know what they said in the press conference today? What? They asked him, like, how's your body feel? Do you feel ready? He said, most people said I wasn't ready in 2019, and we all know what happened. I respect He's that. always got to punch his chance. It's like Deontay Wilder. Every time he steps in the ring, he can knock somebody out. Yeah. But I'm just saying he doesn't have as good of a chance as everybody That's else. That's fair. I think, you, the thing that said. I think his advantage is that the fucking crowd is like a second yeah. opponent for anyone playing against him. Dude, I, I just, I guess my, my point. I love him. I just tamper my expectations. Like, I don't want to get all hyped and then he fucking misses the cut. Like, yeah, I, I get that. But at 80 to 1, I just think it's, it's actually disrespectful. Like, it's, it's a good opportunity. There's arbitrage there. How much, how much you put on it? An undisclosed amount. I didn't put. I didn't bet anything. I invested. What did you invest in the the Tiger Woods Masters twenty twenty three stock? I put a cool one thousand dollars on Tiger Woods when the Masters. No, you here. didn't. Yeah, a thousand. Yeah. Jeez. All right. So we're going to Dubai first class <laughs> on Andre. If Tiger wins the Masters, hold him to that because if not, he's just fuck. I'm on you to be. I mean, wet in the beak. So the way I look at it is, last year I was an absolute degenerate. Thanks to these guys. Uh, You're not terrible influences. But I just lost a decent amount of money through sports gambling. So one of my, uh, what do you call it, obligations or, new, or resolutions, resolutions, resolutions. Uh, for 2023 was, was to stop gambling, which I have, except that one night we were out yeah. and we were a little intoxicated. But I won, so I consider it an investment more than anything. Um, but it's, it's a tradition to bet Tiger at the Masters. So if I go throughout an entire year and lose $1,000 betting, that's a huge W for me, but that's not going to happen. I'm going to win a lot of money because Tiger is going to win. No, it's I feel pretty like I simple. have to at least put some money on him, so if you win, I don't feel like a shithead. <laughs> that might be the new, like, Sigma grind set thing is calling them New Year's obligations. You don't have a choice. Obligations, yeah. You I forgot the term. This. I forgot the term. But, yeah, I don't know. I think he's got – I think – I'm excited to watch him play. The fact yeah. that I still get to watch him play in the Masters is more than enough for me. I'll pay $1,000 just – for the opportunity to watch him play in the Masters. Why not just get a ticket to Augusta at that point? We, we got to go. We do have to we go. We should. We got to go to Augusta at some Next point. Year. 
That's yeah. that's like a bucket list one. I don't even care that much about golf. You can't bring your phone in. That's so sick. Dude, <laughs> quick story, but back <laughs> in the day, this was when I was, thankfully, before oh, I was this is a great hopelessly story. addicted to my phone. It was the PGA Championship. Yeah. It was in Rochester, New York. Oak Hill. Oak Hill. And these guys are in the playoffs. It's on Sunday, so this is to win the entire tournament. It's a major, so it's one of the four biggest tournaments in golf. And the guy's teeing off, and you're not supposed to have your phone. I want to snap a picture, right? Because I've, I've got such a good view. <laughs> Security guard snatches the phone. I'm like, oh, shit. This stinks. <laughs> I'm like, can I get this back, sir? <laughs> Super high voice, like the 14, 15. And then the guy just walks away. Doesn't even acknowledge that I'm a human. Doesn't look at me. Um, so then after the tournament, after the playoff is over, I go to the security tent. I'm like, hey, can I have my phone? They're like, we don't know where your phone is. And they're like, how can we identify your phone? I'm like, I don't fucking know. I don't have like a name tag on it or anything. Like I tried to call it. It's, it's dead at this point. And I don't know how they did it, but I was just like, hey, this is the phone. This is what the case looks like. Here's my address. We ended up leaving because I felt bad because I was holding up him and his dad from going back home, which is like a three-hour drive. It took them like four or five weeks to mail it back. <laughs> they just mailed it back in like a plastic Ziploc baggie. And now I'm thinking about it. Like that would be, people would be pissed nowadays. If you look at like golf tournaments on TV, everybody has their phone out. Yeah. Different time, man. Yeah. Different time. That's why the Eagles concert was so sick because it was all like older people and nobody had their phone out. Except for me because I'm, I'm a dick. <laughs> you ruined everything. Say. But like we had a bird's eye view of the crowd. And you, you have like your phone out videotaping the old people. Like, Look how sick this is. Nobody has their phone nobody out. Nobody has a phone out. But I think that's how it should be at major events. Like no phone. So that's why I think Augusta's got it right. But yeah, that wraps up a great members lounge episode two. I think this was a lot better than the first one, honestly. Whoa. Uh, you're a better host. Some may say, but. Um, I Let think it was just a comments. lot better in terms of uh, stuff talked about. We were uh, a lot more. Oh, I feel like there's one. a lot more to talk about. I actually have one more question. Stay tuned for Members Lounge 3. No, I actually have one more question. <laughs> he tried to wrap it up and you go ahead. Yeah, whoa. Like, wait, <laughs> wait a second. Give me some breathing room here. Um, one of the things that's been super relevant, comes up a lot, is delayed gratification on material possessions. And I want to get your guys' perspective on that. So, like, you have a uh, Rolex, I think, on your screensaver. Yeah. You recently bought a watch. I recently bought a watch. I keep talking about buying a new car. We all want to buy shit. What is your guys' perspective on that? Um, what do you mean? Like, does it feel better when you have to wait? No, like, what would you suggest to someone that feels like they want to buy something? Oh. Material okay. good? Um, for me... What is the practical way I think the practical way to go about it is... If you're buying it for your own... Coming from a guy that has an AP on his wrist. Go ahead. <laughs> the Macy's AP. Um, <laughs> the way to look at it for me is if it's for you rather than the people around you, then do it. Like People are like, why do you buy so many shoes? Do you want to like flex on other people? It's like, no, I just literally fucking love shoes for some reason. And every time I get them, it's like the greatest feeling. So for me, I buy things for my own enjoyment. Um, if you're buying like a nice car, just... You should buy the, the nice car because every time you see it, you want to fucking open the door and drive it, and you're so excited to have it. But if you're just buying it for other people, I think Nick Verge posted about this where it was like he bought a Porsche, and his mentor was like, did you buy that for you or the people around you? And he realized it was for the people around him, and he sold it. So if you're constantly like all day looking at something like, oh, is the price on this watch going down? Are these shoes cheaper than before? Then buy it because you're going to enjoy it. But if it's just for um, impressing other people, I think that's a very fleeting thing because... 
at the end of the day, no one really fucking cares about you, to be honest. Let's all be real. Um, so, yeah, it's like, oh, Christian bought a, a new BMW. They'll be like, yeah, for one day they, they said that, and then it's, that's it. Now you have a car that you paid all this money for um, that you don't even care about. So that's my take on it. I don't even think anyone has to say anything after that. Do you have, like, a spending rule? Uh, not necessarily. No? I mean, within reason, but, like, you, you basically said it really perfectly. Oh, 100% agreed. And once you get the thing, you realize, like, okay, it's... Yeah. A couple days later, the, the shine wears off. It's still really cool that you were able to do it. And if, you know, you get enjoyment out of it, continue to do so. But most of the time you get it and that urge is, is gone. It's not like, oh, I need I to just, buy I just call it, like, I just look at them as trophies. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Like when I put my watch on, it's not like a super expensive watch by any means. But when I put, like when I wear my watch and I look at it, like I'm just reminded of the hard work that goes into getting something like that. Also, your first one's super cool. Because yeah. you're like, this was like when I was able to finally buy something. That was a couple thousand dollars for myself. Yeah. And I can give it to my son and this and that. <laughs> you have an AP on, bro. Relax. Yeah, my, that's a Jesus. couple thousand my fault. Like, that's no, I just look at it as a trophy. It's like a reminder of all the work that you put in to get something like that. I was on I a know. Zoom call yesterday and some kid's like, yo, is that an AP? I'm like, yeah. no. <laughs> but I still like it. I also waited pretty long, too. I waited till it was like I could have bought it like 35 times over with the money in my account so i was like okay so I, I feel like if you're if you're stretching and it's like hey i can only buy this like five times probably don't do it <laughs> you're probably oh, gonna mine is it. like three or five yeah three to five is like my range but i'm saying that i'm talking about like all liquid assets oh yeah i, I mean don't if know. you sold stock you could you could do that plenty of times yeah I think what I, I honestly what Christian said is sums it up perfectly. Every time it's I like, look at my shoes, I'm like, fuck yeah. So Yeah, just ask yourself buy. why you want it. If it's to impress other people or to change the way other people think about you, then it's for the wrong reasons and it's gonna be super disappointing later on. You'll regret it. Um, but if it's just for your own personal reasons, then yeah, I get it. Was that your last question, sir? I think so. I just feel like I want to talk to you guys a lot longer. We've got Let's like go eat some sushi. 815 reservation at 748. I mean, we got, we got a little bit of flexibility here. I have no more bias in how long they go because I don't need to write the timestamps anymore, so it's fucking rip. <laughs> Who's writing it for you now? AI. Chat GPT? Yeah. Sir GPT? I used to be like, ah, 90 minutes. That's a long time on a Wednesday night. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're done. The Mr. Producer's not too happy back there. Yeah. Time to close the curtains. We don't, we don't pay overtime here at Stick Talk, so. Uh, we do pay well, though. We do pay well, though. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, thank you guys so much. We got a lot of really good feedback on the first, as Christian said, Members Lounge episode number one. And so we're going to make, make this a, a reoccurring segment. Uh, basically, every couple of episodes, once a month, you'll hear from just the three of us. And uh, if you guys could send us any questions, any feedback, anything you guys want to hear us talk about, or discuss on this segment of the podcast just reach out through either the comments on youtube we're always checking uh or even just through twitter dm however you want to reach us we're very very accessible at this point and yeah that's it and if you guys could support the show we don't do this for any monetary gain we don't have any advertisements we don't talk too much about our different ventures although they come up in conversation when they do we need money uh just subscribe to the podcast give it a like, but really the best thing you can do is if you found value and you know someone else in your life that would get value from listening to this, just copy the link and share it with them. That makes more of an impact than anything else. So that's pretty much it for me. Sweet.